There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by one of the beautiful How I Quit Alcohol grads. Her name's Alicia. She's from Central Victoria. She's an awesome bloody human. She makes us all laugh. She keeps us entertained with her photos and stories. She's wonderful. So, Alicia, welcome to the podcast today. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad I keep everyone entertained. I'd you like are very to entertaining. Make people laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not just your photos of whatever you may or may not be drinking, or tales of the children. Also, your outfits. I love them. Yeah, you like the Sarah outlet. Jessica Parker of the group. Oh, thank you. That's great. <laughs> I love it. So, how are you, my friend? Yeah, really good, really yeah. good. We've been super busy, which is jet setting and work and kids, but yeah, it's lovely. It's easier doing all the things and doing it all sober, which is bloody awesome. Much easier, yeah. I remember <laughs> it. <laughs> tell us a bit about your or tell the listeners a little bit about your relationship with alcohol, what that looked like, and why you wanted to give it up. Yeah, it's probably a bit later than some others that have joined the challenges. I was probably drank less than my peers as a teen. I hope I, I think I did. Um, but I remember really valuing driving and working over drinking. So I don't really remember being too much of a party animal. I certainly drank, but I don't think dangerously or it was certainly, I think, reasonable. My dad was an alcoholic, so growing up, like I didn't realize he was I thought everyone was like him so it was probably later much much later in life I realized that our life wasn't really normal I was probably in my 20s when I realized that that level of drinking wasn't healthy I just thought everyone did that how so, much did dad drink 
a lot. So he would drink beers every day. Like that was just, I don't ever remember him not drinking. But then he'd hit brandy pretty hard. My family's Ukrainian. So if it wasn't brandy, it was vodka. And he was just, I don't know, life was just unpredictable with him. He wasn't a raging drunk every night, but you just never really knew what you were going to get. And sometimes that was really exciting. So sometimes that as kids that was great sometimes he'd come home with amazing things or he'd be in this really excited mood but other times he'd be on a bit of a bender and be horrible so again we didn't always see it as problematic as kids but as you get older you start to realize that that chaos has you sort of going up and down and it wasn't great and as he got older and I got older he was just awful like his behavior was really unacceptable and and that's when I really realized oh actually this this is what an alcoholic looks like and it was just horrible and he died really young he died at 64 super unhealthy I've got no doubt it was the alcohol that did it and yeah that was that was tough so I didn't want to be that parent I didn't want to be that person And then it was probably once I had my first child, Stella, that I really started to drink differently. And I I don't like to link the two. It's not because I had a child that I was drinking. It was just life just got crazy. So it was double the stress because there was two of us now, or my husband, obviously. But, you know, finances change, work changes, responsibilities change, and alcohol was just just a really good way to calm and quiet the head noise. It was really just self-soothing. And it wasn't a huge amount. Like I think some people would say, oh, God, you were barely drinking. But a couple of glasses of wine, two or three glasses of wine every night, purely to get a rest from all the life stress that was going on. And then inevitably that would turn into more on the weekend or if something was really stressful. I was also a carer for my grandparents at that point. And that was so, so difficult. I love them, but so difficult. So that just became a bit of a coping mechanism. And then another child, more responsibilities, a business. And it just became something I relied on too much. Yeah. Did you realise at the time it was a coping mechanism or was it just something you just did? No, no. And everyone did it. And my social circles, everyone did it. And that was always really hard because every now and again, when I would think, oh, maybe this is a well, so I probably never thought this is too much. But if I got anxiety, I'd be like, oh, maybe I need to slow down. But I think because the quantities always seemed really socially acceptable, nobody ever said to me, you're drinking too much. And because I grew up with that and I was always drinking far less than my dad, I didn't see it as a problem. And yeah, I, I just didn't see it as my coping strategy. It's interesting, isn't it? Because oftentimes we think, what quantifies an alcoholic? What makes yeah. me have a problem? Do I have a problem? And you don't have to be a raging alcoholic per se to want to no. quit booze either. Yeah. And I think too, looking back, maybe I could have continued doing what I was doing without any major incident or anything horrific or worthy of what other people or society might perceive as a reason to stop. But I just wasn't quite meeting my own standards. That was the big one for me. Like it was every, and every time I'd sort of, and I'm sure we'll cover me falling off the bandwagon, every time I would go back or I'd think about going back to just the old days, it was because I was like, but I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. In fact, I'm probably doing less of it. But then I'd be like, oh, but I hate the fact that I'm pissed off the kids have got swimming on Friday night. Like the kids never missed out, but I would resent the fact that we would have an activity at six o'clock on a Wednesday because that interrupted me sitting down and having a glass of wine while I cooked dinner. And they always got to do the things they did. I just was angry at myself for not enjoying life Mm. or enjoying that experience. Yeah. I wonder how many people also don't have their kids doing things because it's too much of an interruption. Yeah. Yeah. And I always had this, like I have a rule, had a rule that if other people's children were staying in our house, I just didn't drink. There wasn't that dependency there, but there is a slight distinction. I think I didn't feel like I had to have it, but sometimes that would really piss me off. I'm like, oh, I've got a kid over and now I can't have a glass of wine. So yeah, again, just not meeting the standards of parenting that I had for myself. 
Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And that's such a great question to ask ourselves. Like, am I meeting my own standards? Gosh, and that yeah. might not even be about alcohol. That might just be about life in general or the way that we show up in the world. Am I meeting my own yeah. standards? It's such a great or, question. Or hating the fact that I was at kids' sport on a Saturday with a raging hangover thinking, God, I just want to be in bed. <laughs> Just, and or not even a raging hangover just feeling 80 percent all the time can be better like that's yeah the thing. yeah i can do better 80 percent is fairly average isn't it i mean yeah i mean it's okay and it's yeah. better than a lot of people but i think i just expect more for myself yeah um, yeah and i'm glad yeah. i do yeah yeah absolutely that's great so what then was the driving desire to want to change other than not meeting your own standards, but what really got you to the point where you thought, all right, I'm going to give this a good red hot go? I think lockdown. I did the first lockdown with a lot of alcohol. I remember you said that. I went into panic mode and bought, I think it was 12 chooks, a puppy, and 92 bottles of alcohol. Hang on, hang on. The, the chooks, yeah, a puppy. Because <laughs> well, we were going into lockdown, I thought it was a really good opportunity. I got a sourdough starter as well. So, you know, there was ballots. That was the other thing. Like I said to myself, whenever we eat, homemade sourdough. My life's, I'm a good person. I'm a good parent. I can bake. But 92 bottles. And I, and I have to preface that with I actually didn't mean to buy so many. And when they turned up, I hid them at work because I didn't want, I just didn't want access to that much wine. But. Yeah, the first lockdown, I think, and everyone, I mean, in my circle did it the same way. It was tough, but it was made a hell of a lot tougher by drinking at nighttime when Dougal would get home. I'd crack open a bottle of wine and, yeah, it was just, I was drinking it a lot quicker and I wasn't drinking during the day or I wasn't changing my behaviour. It was just, I was drinking more quicker to cope with the stress of lockdown and I thought, I just can't do this. And then when it got to the point where we're going to have another lockdown, I was like, no, nah, I'm just... I'm not doing that again. Yeah, so I did the next lockdown, Stone Cold Sober, so much easier. Like, wow. It was, yeah. yeah. Did you get through the 92 bottles? No, no, I ended up selling half of them. So no, good. I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at a discount, I just, it made money no, I really did. It wasn't intentional to have that many, but yeah, but who knew? We could have been in lockdown forever. Like, at least I had 92 bottles of wine and my children. And your your puppy. Yeah, look, so many people, like so many people I coach, their drinking got out of hand during lockdown and and, and the whole COVID, whether it was to deal with loneliness, whether it was to deal with the trauma of what was going on, what they were seeing, the stress, or just, yeah, just that time. But I think the other really crazy thing was as I was doing, like I'd wake up in the morning and I'd do all these gym classes. And I know this, like I've heard this a lot with the women in our group, that we do all these amazing healthy things for ourselves, go to the gym, watch what we eat, you know, consider ourselves really, really healthy and then go and knock off a bottle of wine. Like mm. that was the other thing during lockdown. Like I'd spend all day doing really great things with the kids and then, yeah, just kind of cancel all of that out with a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, at that point you were just running on less than average. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so just feeling like, okay, it's time to change. So yeah, tell us a bit about getting to that point of deciding that's it, enough's enough. I think once it got clear that the lockdown, maybe they were sticking around for a while and we just didn't know what life was going to look like and the kids were stressed, everything was just up in the air and it just became one thing I could change and one thing I could control to try and make the situation just a bit more bearable. So my little brother, he's only two years younger than me, he'd actually done a year alcohol-free a couple of years prior to that and he he did an amazing job. And so I thought, oh, well, he can do it. Oh, I can do it. And there was a few of us actually that did it. And I think that was the other thing. I'd been listening to your podcast and there was a few of us that went, yeah, okay, we can do it. It sounds like other people can do it. We can do it. And that was great. So I think I, made, I probably made about three months that time and I was I was happy with that but then one of my mates he took it to the next level and I think he lasted like three years or something so I was like god he can do it I can jump back on yeah it was um that was the first go 
Okay, awesome. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that's so great too to have a group of people that obviously I've well documented that on this podcast that I think that's a great thing to do is doing it with other people. And so it lasted three months and some other people obviously fell off and, and you fell off there, but you did the three months, which is great. That's an amazing yeah. effort. So you're listening to the podcast and what gets you to the point where you're signing up for that first challenge? I think when I realized that I couldn't necessarily control my community, while we're all in lockdown, we were talking a lot on social media and things, but I just knew I needed that accountability and then also a bit of an anonymity as well was nice. Like just being able to talk to people that listening to your podcast and hearing that, oh, well, this is really common. My, I'm actually quite boring because there's a lot of people doing what I'm doing. And I think the challenge for me was just the accountability, knowing that there was other people that I would be letting down or other people that would have tools that would help me to get through the tricky bit. And I think I did your first challenge, which I'm fairly certain started like the day after New Year's Day. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, would it would have been one of those three months, the 12 week challenges. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You were just on one of the recent podcasts talking about changes to your relationship with your sobriety. And so we have documented that, but I thought that was really interesting how you did struggle with that a little bit too, the change within your relationship and, okay, what do we do now? How do we connect? And it's really important conversation to have too, like, okay, my relationship has changed or is changing a lot because of this choice. And I think one thing we've got to think about when we're thinking about taking a pause from alcohol or if we're deciding to give it up for good is what impact that's going to have, not just impacting me in a positive way, but also what negative impacts it might have because it's good to be aware of those things before you set out about any decision, I guess, or any goal that we make. I think I didn't give my relationship the respect it deserved. And I took, when I say relationship, I mean with my husband in that I didn't give him the credit he deserved. And when I did fall off the bandwagon, the narrative was that, well, this is what we do together. I need to keep up my end of the bargain, which is, we drink together at the end of the day. We have a couple of glasses of wine and that's how we've got this really great relationship. But I think the reality is we have a great relationship in spite of there being any alcohol, lots of alcohol, a little bit, a lot. That had really nothing to do with it. And it was mm. probably me in a moment of weakness going, oh, I have to drink so that my marriage works out. And I don't think it's a secret that I fell off the bandwagon in the first challenge, didn't make it through. And I, I just think looking back, that that was a good thing. It showed that I just wasn't ready. It was a really tough time of year, I think, for somebody that maybe is not 100% on board. Like if you're not 100% on board, that's a really tough time to try and set yourself up for a big life change, especially in Australia and barbecues and socially. If you're not 100%, it can be tough. So I certainly found that, but even now, like my relationship with my husband, it's just, it's different. And sometimes it's difficult, but it's not because I'm not drinking anymore. I think that's just life. It's I'm conscious and respectful of the fact that I have changed the terms of our relationship. Well, not the terms because it's not a fundamental part of our relationship, but it is a big change. Mm, absolutely. I was actually did a coaching session with someone yesterday from New Zealand and she was saying that she was worried about the same thing with her partner because that's what they've always done together. And she said that they've both realized, wow, we actually have a connection and an even greater yeah. connection without alcohol. And she's like, it's, yeah. it's been unbelievable. And they're connecting in different ways, much like how Michelle McDonald was saying that her and her husband found different ways to connect and it's given them a much deeper connection. Yeah. And also checking in and saying, okay, I know I've changed the rules and I'm mm. sorry, sometimes you go to parties on your own or mm. events on your own, because I just don't, I either don't want to, or I don't feel safe. Like I don't, if I'm feeling, not that I actually feel sort of shaky anymore, but you know, if I'm just not sure that it's for me, I don't go. And so that must be hard on partners that all of a sudden they're going solo to things or their partner's not really engaged in the things they used to be. But unapologetically, I think it's a really good, it's been great for me. So that's that's the priority. I think it's really nice to have that level of respect 
for your partner as well to to take into account how it's going to impact them and having that conversation yeah. and checking in with them, like you say, like checking in with them. I know this is different for you and I know this might not be what you signed up for, but it's what I want to do. It's still important to yeah. stick to your guns, but to have that compassion to just check in with them and see how they're going with it. And I think that they would appreciate that. When I first might have checked in with you, like I was just searching for this solution to that, this very topic. It's like, well, how can I fix this? How can I get past this? But I think the reality is you just, you don't necessarily fix it. It just is what it is and you just work through it. And sometimes it's easier than others and like everything, it's still life, whether there's alcohol or not, it's still going to be challenging at times. Absolutely. And accepting that there will be a change, a shift in dynamic yeah. in the relationship and just having full acceptance. Okay. This is what's yeah. going to happen. There will be a bit of a shift, but hopefully we can find another way to connect or yeah, you know, hopefully they they can also accept it too. We did talk about it in the the group chat call, but I think that's where the non-elk options can be really useful in the beginning. If that if that's your thing, I I totally appreciate if that's a bit triggering for some people. But I did rely on those heavily at the start for that kind of connection time. Mm-hmm. Now I'm happy with a cup of tea or soft drink or something. But yeah, at the beginning they were a really good alternative. I think they are. And I remember you, and I don't know if it was the first challenge you did or the second, but I remember when you had a friend over and you had the cheese platter and you had the open fire going in your gloriously beautiful house and you sent a photo through to the group afterwards and said, oh my God, we still did it. Like it still had the cheese platter and it had wine. It just didn't have alcohol in it. And your friend might've had wine, like actual wine. You said you had all the elements there. You really enjoyed your time. Yeah. And And I think Sometimes when you're still not sure about, oh, because you don't want to put your hand up and say, I'm giving up. You know, everyone loves to point out that you've already told them you're going to give up and then you're still having a couple of dreams. But I think you start to think of excuses not to give up. One of my favourite ones, I've just put all these beautiful wine glasses. Like, well, can't waste them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like I had probably a hundred of those excuses up my sleeve. Do you think that also... The train of thought is, oh, no, panic buttons. I'm not connecting with my husband in the same way that I used to. I don't want to be disrespectful here, but could also be a bit of an excuse to derail. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally an excuse. Or, oh, I'm just not that person. That's not me. That's other people. Other people don't drink. I have a few drinks. That's the person I am. But again, they're just fleeting moments now. Like I'm the person I was meant to be, I think now, which is just... I haven't changed. I don't think I just probably am a little bit more self-aware. Selfish is the wrong word, but I just, things have to be right for me now to say yes, rather than just going along. Like I'm sort of open to a degree about not drinking, but I don't parade it around maybe as much as I did at the start. I think that's nice. You're just doing it. Like you're just being that. The beginning, it's such a huge part of your world. And then when you start to get through to being in a routine it's such a small part of our world like it's it really is like I think Ash says we give it so much credit at times the the fun and the the misery to a degree but now I look at it it's just not a thing for me like it's not I don't think about it nearly as much as I used to every now and again I say I wish I could have one drink and then I'll laugh at myself and go who am I kidding? I would never have had just one drink. It would have been five and those moments are just gone now. It's so true, isn't it? It really becomes part of like, it's nothing. It really is nothing. And it's hard to describe that to people, especially if they're still sober curious or they're still drinking or they are in the very early days. Yeah, the early days are tough. Oh, they're tough. And it is, it's like all you can think about sometimes, but you do end up in this place where it's like, I just, you just don't think about it, honestly. And, no. it's so... and I'm, I'm really comfortable going out. I'm really comfortable around alcohol. It doesn't bother me. I don't preach to anyone. If any of my friends or anybody's got a question, I'll answer it. But it's, I try and keep it as insignificant as possible for me. I, I know mm. just because I've come to me 16 months, so that's a long time. I don't last as long at parties and I don't last as long. I get bored if once everyone else has sort of hit that level of <laughs> intoxication, I get a bit bored. But I just, yeah, it, it just doesn't bother me. 
Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And it's so like for people listening, like we can promise you it does get easier and easier and easier. The, the further away you get from your last drink, the easier it gets and it becomes a non-issue eventually and you've just got to get I through. Think, yeah, and the reasons, like I read something and it's resonated with me at the very beginning and looking back at my even my journaling, it was like I built a life that I don't have to escape from and that's something that, probably really fundamental in everything that we do now it's like well we're just focusing on having great friendships great relationships great food great you know everything if everything else is on track because I was really just relying on it as that crutch to escape I don't need it I mean I still get stressed and I still have crappy days but they're not the same (laughs) they're not as bad yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think our tolerance increases a lot once we get yeah. rid of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you guys, you run a very successful business. Your your husband's a builder and yeah. you've got a lot going on. You've got people working for you. You've got the kids. You've got all these things yeah. that you're doing. And so it is great to see that you can have a very busy, very stressful, very intense, I guess, life doing all the things like your business won a huge award as well. What yeah. was that award? We were up for a national business award, so we're finalists there, but we actually won it last year, which was pretty cool. It's like we're performing sort of at the top of our game and, again, like talking about coaching and, like, my husband, we're both big fans of coaching and coaches and mm-hmm. getting that sort of level of mentorship from something. So we've been a part of a business coaching program, a personal trainer, I think at one point, Dick and I were having an argument. It was like, well, I'll get my coach to talk to your coach and we'll sort something <laughs> out. <laughs> but I think we're both interested in growth and I think in getting the best out of ourselves. So I don't know that you can necessarily do that alone. I think you need to be with your tribe and whether that's a business tribe, a fitness tribe, a social tribe, coaching, anything that you want to improve on for us is really important and we see the value. So I think another reason why Jingle's been so supportive is because it's worked for him in in his area that he wanted to improve. Mm, Amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. And it is great to have, yeah, a coach or someone behind you to kind of help get you there to where you want to go. Because sometimes it's hard to work through it all yourself and it's great to have that person there to kind of be your cheerleader and set some goals for you. And Yeah, and I think being like just in that culture where the behaviour is normal, like if it's a business coaching course, well, being at the top of your game is normal. So being amongst non-drinkers, when that's normal, that sort of becomes the baseline for everything. So I think in terms of creating a change in habit, that's just not going to happen if you don't. Not necessarily change your tribe, but at least open yourself up to a new tribe. You don't yeah. want to go and ditch all your old friends and mm. old ways because I think that can be really isolating, but just, yeah, expanding who your people are. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it definitely helps for sure. Absolutely. So you've been sober now for 16 months, which is amazing. Yeah. And tell us about when you decided to go again and do the challenge again and what sort of spurred yeah. that on. I got a bit shaky around six months. So I decided just before my 40th that, okay, this is, we've done this a few times. We've had a few false starts. This is just, it's time. And my brother, he's been alcohol-free for a few years now. So, and I've seen how he can do it, I can do it. We're a little bit competitive. Wonderful, he's my best friend, but we, we also compete a little bit on these things. Well, all right, he's doing it, I'm doing it. And he's sort of like my biggest cheer squad, which is great. So I was like, no, I've got to do it. So I got to six months. Like it was about three weeks before my 40th birthday that I started, which was big. Because it would have been really easy to throw it in on my 40th and go, oh, I'll start next week. But I said, no, I'm just going to do it. And then I got to six months and it started to, I was like, no, I need a bit of help now. Like now I'm I'm getting a bit bored with this. I've done all of, I've used up all my tools. I've, the momentum's gone. And I think that's when I did the next challenge. And it was just a reminder. It was just get back involved, get back in that community, get back into the work and the accountability. And it was great because I was able to connect with other people that were also similar timeframes or at the start. So it was nice to get support, but also offer support. And I think that's, yeah, that's a big one. So I think to be able to help and be helped was why I went back. 
Yeah, absolutely. Being of service to people is really yeah. helpful. Yeah. It's, it kind of keeps us going on the journey. Yeah. Like getting through your 40th birthday party. I mean, that's huge. I've seen a lot of people fall off the wagon because of big birthdays or big celebrations. Yeah. How did you keep yourself sober for that? I went to Hamilton Island, so I was super lucky. And it's just the most beautiful place with walks and so all the other things that I value above a hangover <laughs> are there. Great food, great walks. So the last thing I wanted to do was waste any time. Beautiful 40th with my best friend and my parents. And that was just lovely. It was sort of, when I say low key, I mean, I still wore an outrageous outfit and it was still pretty impressive. But now it's because I did it before a big milestone. I've sort of got that other level of accountability that, well, hang on, I haven't drunk in my 40s. So if I had a drink, I can't say that anymore. Like that's a big one for me. Like I gave up drinking in my 30s, which I think, it's just a little thing, but to me, that sounds really impressive. So I like that I've got that up my sleeve. Mm. And what was one more week of drinking going to do? Like, really? It was one more party. I'd had enough of them. I'd had enough of the day ones. It wasn't that important to me to be drinking on my 40th. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And it's so good just to kind of reset before you go into a big celebration, okay, remembering why and just remembering like this is what I want this is what I want for me and just set the goalpost again too even if it's just to get through this night and still have a great time like still dress up and still go to a beautiful place you just yeah. don't have to get shit-faced for it yeah it's, and get the whole day out of it as well like I would yes. have I would have been drinking at lunchtime I would have had a glass of champagne when I woke up you know it's a big day it was my 40th I would have deserved it is what I would have told myself and it just would have been a rubbish day. Like I wouldn't have enjoyed it. And I think that's the same for any event, whether it's a birthday or a wedding or something special. It would have been fun for a bit and then it just, yeah, it wouldn't have been worth it the next day. Yeah. So I really get the sense too that you're living life to the fullest and you're kind of getting the most out of life. Over the time that we've known each other, you went through a cancer journey with your best friend and yeah. do you feel like watching her journey and watching her leave and, and leave her children behind had an impact on you as well? Oh, absolutely. Like I think Lauren's always in the back of my mind. Like I always feel like I can't waste my opportunity. Like, and when I say waste, I'm just, my kids deserve to have the best version of me. I deserve to have the best version of me and she didn't get that chance, she didn't get that opportunity. That family's in my life all the time. So there's that constant reminder. And I'm certainly not saying that anyone that suffers a loss needs to give up alcohol so that they can be the best version of themselves. But for me, and I think my hat as a mum, that's a big one for me. That makes me remember that's another one of my whys. Like that's why I am the best mum because I can be. And my kids probably don't agree. I made one of them walk to school today and thinks I'm the worst mum ever. <laughs> um, sometimes I think they wish I was drinking still and I got away with a bit more. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> yeah, I think when you lost someone early in life, it just all of a sudden there's kids left behind and a husband left behind, you start to think, well, what am I doing with my life? Like, am I getting enough out of this to sort of live for two people in a way? Yeah, well, how did you find going through that and being sober? Yeah, it was really tough. And I think I got through the bulk of her passing, which was really quick. It was only a few months without drinking and I think it was towards the very end when we were sort of writing letters to family members and things like that that I might have actually had a slip I don't advocate it but I don't blame myself for that either I think I just needed that just that quiet I think my head was just racing at a million miles an hour but it's I've done all the hard things sober I've done the funerals I've done the actual death I've done all of that and I think I just couldn't imagine waking up in the morning with a raging hangover and a friend that's not there anymore. So, yeah, I think it made it barely bearable to be sober. It's still tough because you feel everything. I couldn't numb anything. That was really hard. But I think being able to communicate with 
all of our friends and family that I look at how close we all are now and that's just through being able to communicate and everyone's just so honest and vulnerable and I don't think you necessarily do that the vulnerability is a big one and I think if you're a bit lubricated you're not necessarily probably not authentic you might be vulnerable but is it authentic you know you're sort of slobbering all over each other oh you so sad Mm. but yeah this is I think to be able to go through a grief experience in an authentic way is maybe a bit easier. It's yeah. not easy. It's tough. It's horrible. But no. it's a bit better. Yeah, it's certainly not easy, that's for sure. How long ago did she pass now? Just on two years. Two years. So, yeah. I mean, that was at the tail end of a lockdown too. It was just, yeah. It was, and I, I even remember her saying to me, oh, you've just got to stop with all the rules in your head and... And that was the other thing. I think giving up drinking, that's just one rule. Whereas we talk about often about just before you do throw it in for good, you'll have these rules of uh, only on a Friday, only on a Saturday, or only two, or whatever. Whereas now the rules, only one, just none. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, I think the last two years have certainly been a lot easier by not drinking. Yeah. One thing I love about your story is that you have that kindness and compassion towards yourself. So there's been those times where you've had some sobriety and then there might have been a small sleep or, or a bigger sleep and you didn't beat yourself up about it. You just kept on going. And I think that's so important. Yeah. Gosh, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. No. I know I had a gazillion tries and failed attempts and restarts before it stuck for me. And like you're saying, sometimes that's what you do to get through. And if that's the case, then you just get back on the horse and keep on going. And yeah, and eventually 30, get to that place. Yeah. And if you spend like 19, well, I was going to say 39 years, but I wasn't going for that long. Um, you know, if you've spent 20 years of solving problems that way, when you probably have the biggest problem you've ever experienced in your life, like you kind of fall back on the, the way you fixed it previously. Mm. So, yeah, I think you just dust yourself off and keep moving forward and we're still working with you at that point I know and I look at my diaries and I can always tell by my handwriting <laughs> where I'm at in life like mm-hmm. it's always really neat but if my anxiety is bad there's scribble everywhere and you know my gratitude journal I think yeah, I was grateful for hand cream I messaged you one day I was rereading it when you don't feel like you've got a lot to be grateful for you start clutching at straws but yeah usually it's a lot more positive than hand cream <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've done lots of work together over the time, not just the challenge. We've done outside yeah. coaching as well, which has been great. And it's been great to just watch this whole journey of you, which has just been yeah. so beautiful. And I, I really feel like it's been a really compassionate one. I mean, at times you weren't so compassionate on yourself, but you'd get to that place eventually of feeling some compassion and having those big aha moments and those yeah. understanding. Yeah. And I think we, one of our book clubs we read, is it the the art of self-care right oh yeah the extreme self-extreme Cheryl Richardson Mm -hmm. yeah an important one you know we talk about a lot of self-care and rewards and what I got from that book is it not even necessarily adding beautiful things it can be taking things out of your life so I'm a bit of a committee whore like I'm always putting my hand up to help and it's always at the expense of my free time or my mental health so I'm getting better at saying no but I read that book and I was like oh that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna resign from that committee today because I'm not getting the respect that I deserve and that's what I'm gonna do for myself today I'm not getting my nails done I'm just gonna do that and so I think it's possible even again if someone's sober curious and they're looking at reasons to not give up which might be that oh I can't afford the facials that I can't afford the massages and but some of these things are free like a lot of this stuff's free and what can you take out of your life that's going to be a gift and what can you remove that then becomes yeah absolutely better than a facial yes it doesn't have to be about what we are giving ourselves it can absolutely be about what we're taking out and just those small things can be such a huge gift so you're very social and you do lots of social things. You've got a big group of friends and you're a yeah. young mum and, like I say, busy person and you're going on camping trips with friends and things like that. Talk to me a little bit about that because I was just talking to someone the other day and they was like, oh, my God. Camping can be hard. Yeah. yeah. 
I want to do your October challenge, but I've got a camping trip coming up. And so, you know, we're having this conversation about that. She was debating, does she go or does she stay home? Which, of course, is everyone's individual choice. Yeah. As you know, we've just done a whole trip around Australia camping, but we're very much in our sobriety by this point where we've just gone. Tell me, what tips would you give for people who are maybe going to experience something like that, going on big groups of friends, going on a camping trip? What did you do to stay sober? Camping's a really different one because it depends on the type of camping. So caravanning and caravan park culture I think is a big drinking one and so we've shifted away from that because sometimes there can literally be nothing else to do like we've stayed in some pretty remote caravan parks where there's not a lot else going on so we don't do that now so I just I think you've got to make sure there's other stuff happening so whether it be fishing walking what's in the town that you can explore staying a little bit busy making sure that it's not drinking centric and I think that's a tough one to try and navigate with camping but now like I take a book I'm still in bed really early I'm the annoying one up really early getting the fire going there's so much else to do like if you're into cooking you just up the ante you start to try and bake your sourdough in the camp oven like (laughs) Oh, you know what I got into was damper, cooking dampers, which yeah. was no good for my ass. But uh, <laughs> I was really getting into it. The kids were getting into it. I loved it. Yeah, up yeah, the ante. If, if the people you're going away with, if it is just a sitting around drinking session, maybe it's not your tribe for that weekend. I wouldn't go. But I, I probably don't have that group of friends anymore either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd probably just call sick. There's usually someone that's not drinking or not drinking a lot. There's always something to do. Hmm. Or I would check out and go and sleep in the, t- we've got a camp trailer now. So I'd go and sit up there and read or, yeah, just go for a walk. There's always yeah, something. I think, yeah. yeah, keeping busy is really important. Also filling the esky up. Like I would take a dedicated esky just on alcohol-free options like and make yeah. lots of different ones, have lots of different ones there and just keep thinking about what are all the activities I can do and just keep myself busy, get to bed early, get some good books and make that part of the process. So like yeah. get excited about getting to bed early with a book and sorry, everyone, I'm off. I'll see you in the morning and, and be a bit But they smug. don't even know. If people are drinking, they don't even, don't even miss you. Like that's yeah. the other thing. Like I just say, I'm just going to put the kids to bed and I have no intention of resurfacing. I've got my book and my camp light. And nobody knows. Like, what's the other thing? Like, I think sometimes we think we're a bit too important, but no one realizes if we've stuck off. True that. Absolutely. Yeah. So at this point, how do you feel about your sobriety? To me now, it's just a no-brainer. It's something I try not to think about too much because I try and minimize it in my world. Like, it's imp- it's very important. It's my number one priority in everything I do, but it's just in the background so I'm now at a point where the majority of reading I do and it's got nothing to do with sobriety or it might be slightly connected so it might be something on goal setting or habit stacking or something that I'm interested in there which you can always relate to sobriety but that's not the sole focus anymore Mm. it's just in the background ticking away making sure I get the best out of everything else that is now the focus absolutely and I often say too, like say even the challenges that I run, alcohol is very much a small component of it, funnily enough, yeah. because it's more about transformational growth and working on the mindset and working on your inner critic and trying to understand yourself a lot more and that reconnection to self rather than alcohol. It just And everyone says yeah. that who does it pretty much, that oh, it's actually got not a lot to do with alcohol in the end. And I think maybe that's something that just wasn't clicking for me, even though I heard it and I read about it and I saw other people believing it. (laughs) I saw other people in the first challenge I did. It just wasn't clicking for me. And I don't know Mm -hmm. how many times I'd been told to meditate. Oh, I don't have time for that. I'm not interested in that. And I think that's what the big difference is this time. For me, is I, I get it. I can see it. I do meditate now. I do make time for that sort of self-care for the other work. And that's the difference. Really what you said earlier too, it's really important to be ready. So before you do yeah. a alcohol-free journey, I think 
are you ready? I mean, look, you can still sign up, like say something like the October challenge came up or other challenges, or it might not even be my challenge. It might just be you setting yourself a small break and that's fine too. But also you've got to be ready for that. Like, am I ready? And being ready is so important because I don't actually think it matters what challenge you join, to be honest. I don't think it matters what coach you have. It's about yourself and you're applying your commitment to getting to the goal that you want to get to. Firstly, look at what roadblocks have I got coming up. This is my goal. So my goal is to lose weight or give up alcohol or improve my business by 10%. But what are my roadblocks? Well, I'm going on a degustation week of amazing food and, well, that's not going to work trying to lose weight that week or Mm. I'm particularly stressed and my crutch is alcohol and I've got grand final weekend. Maybe this isn't your month. Like, don't set yourself up. Don't make it so hard that it's going to be almost impossible. Be kind when you're making the decision Mm. and give yourself the best chance. Yeah, you want to set yourself up for success when you're doing it it's not to say that you can't get through if you do have something on that is one thing like if you are committed it's all about your commitment that's what I'm trying to say like it's about your level of commitment rather than the course that you're doing I really do believe that if you are committed it doesn't really matter what course you're doing is if you're committed to change then you'll change or you'll yeah for that amount of time you've got to be ready you have to be ready to want to do that so I think that's really important or also not waiting for the rock bottom to be worse. You don't have to have a rock bottom moment to go, because oh, I'm sure everybody that ever even had a sip of alcohol has had that moment. Of, oh, yeah, I wish I was dead. Oh, this is horrible. I'm never drinking again. You don't necessarily have to get to that point to make the change. And mm. I think that can be really hard with that kind of mummy wine culture. But if you're just sort of ticking away as an average sort of drinker, but you're still not happy, that might be enough to say, actually, maybe I will make a change. I don't have to be worse than my friends or worse than other drinkers. It's just if you're not happy, it might be time. Mm, And just asking yourself, yeah, how do I feel? And am I meeting my own standards? Yeah. Yeah. And then that could be the driver. It's about that having a good, honest look at yourself and then going, okay, do I want this? Am I meeting my own standards? What impact is this having on me? And what impact will it have on me if I do give it away? What negative impacts, what positive impacts? And then just weighing them up, the cost benefit analysis and just going, yeah, "Yeah, what would this be? And I think most of the negative ones were just in my own head and were just my subconscious trying to make excuses to not change. But I couldn't have imagined, you know, my daughter's a teenager and she can be a horrible teenager sometimes, but for the most part, she's wonderful. And I think our relationship, I couldn't imagine it being as good as it is if I'm still having a few wines a night. She's a very perceptive girl. And she used to take advantage of the fact if I'd had a couple of drinks, she knew that was the time to ask for things or and they were big on that Roblox game or whatever. So, you know, how oh, can we put spend some money on that? You know, she's very clever and very sneaky. So she certainly doesn't get away with nearly as much now that mum's on the cherry all the time. Mm. But we've just been on an amazing mother-daughter trip that I possibly would have done it if I was still drinking a bit. But we wouldn't have got anywhere near as much out of it. And we wouldn't have been as close. We would have been fighting. Rather than rising to her when I'd had one or two glasses of wine, now I just, I don't fight. You know, I might have a laugh to myself and go, oh, like being a teenager. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we're so much more connected. And I think some of the tools that we learn when we are working through our own stuff, we can then apply them to or teach them to our kids, which is so yeah. important. Like, what are you feeling right now? What are you actually feeling? What's happening for you? Where do you feel that in your body? All these yeah. things that we ask ourselves throughout this journey, but then we can you know, teach to our kids and have that real presence and that deep listening that's the difference, the deep listening, I guess. I'm not to say that when you're a drinker, you don't have it. Well, I know for myself, I can only speak for myself, a much better listener now that I don't drink. Absolutely. So it looks like on all accounts, you're smashing it. You're doing really well. And I just feel like yeah. you're in that really stable, content place. Yeah. Like I'm not too cocky. I know it can change. I know I can have days where I'll think, hang on, I'm a bit, what have I done here? So I'm not naive to the fact that there could be really difficult days down the track. But yeah, I think it's a decision that's, I can't see anything changing anytime soon. That's awesome. Amazing. 
Okay, so yeah, it looks like you're smashing it and life's going well. It's so awesome to see and it's possible to make these big changes and it's possible to do that. So if anyone's interested perhaps in making some changes, I've got a challenge coming up October the 1st. Very excited about that. That's the last challenge for this year. Yeah, so if anyone's interested in that, jump on my website, have a look, email me if you've got any questions about it. It's important to be really informed about what you're getting yourself into. But it's a good one to get into before Christmas as well because it's a quick one. See what you think. You might surprise yourself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you can just have a dabble. I've got two people signed up that are like, I just want to try it for six weeks and just see yep. how I feel. And that you don't have to have any more commitment than that, but just be committed yeah. to that six weeks if that's what you want to do. Yeah, amazing. Awesome. Good luck to those people. Alicia, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.